11 hours and 10 minutes in. Can you believe it? 2023, a new one. Well, our tradition and our habit here at this church is to, on the first Sunday of the new year, uh, someone, and it's been me for the last several years, uh, does a review of what last year was like and looks ahead to what next year could be like. And then I talk about a small subject that uh, we're going to look at today. And so that's where we are this morning. We're going to take a glance backwards and look ahead. And we're going to see where things will go in the next time. And maybe it's where I've got to turn it on. Here we go. I knew it. So I'll be something close to catch. So uh, I want to start, from, first of all, with a prayer. So if you would join me in prayer, that would be great. Father, we thank you for the new year. We, we see your patience with us, and we're very thankful for that. Scriptures tell us you will bring together heaven and earth in your good time. Help us, Lord, to be your image as we serve here. We lift your name in praise, and we ask for your blessings for the congregation and for the individuals that are here, and for those that we love. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen. 2022 was a busy year. A lot of things happened. And if you live through it, wow, you must be exhausted. As in the past, we had several families and individuals that moved away. Now, this happens all the time. But we feel a loss whenever that does take place. On the other side, several families have joined us. We've welcomed them. And they've been a blessing to us in the different times of the year. But we're thankful always for those who are part of us. And we pray that those who have moved away are better for having been here for a time. In any congregation, the ebb and flow of people changes not only the face of the congregation, but it opens up opportunities for those who remain. And oftentimes, the newcomers bring strengths that we need. God knows that we need. So, a couple of things that went on last year that I need to bring to your attention. Did you know that last year, we gained different ministry teams? A couple of nods. Okay, that's good. That means you're part of, the, part of those teams, most likely. Besides the prayer team, which has been going strong for several years, we now have a missions team. We now have a finance team. And the Sequoia team, working for, with the college-age kids, has now leaped over into the team groups, team ministry. This is great. We also now have, and, and this one, I don't know how to class it, but it's the potluck I think it's wonderful too. Organization is always helpful. And I'm told the ladies' class is growing, and there's a 20 to 30 something group that meets at times. And the men have had several opportunities to gather and spend time together. And these are all very good and very encouraging. Last year we saw multiple baptisms, which is great. And we also shared uh, many times where the congregation came together in prayer for very specific individuals and families, as well as the events that were going on. And those things, I think, strengthen us every time. Uh, for those who are in the capital things, a uh, major portion of the roof was fixed. That means fewer leaks. Hopefully no leaks, but fewer leaks. Uh, and that's good. Our security system for the building of the property has been updated, which means we can be relatively secure that we'll be able to see when somebody does that's basically all that is. 
Uh, last year, we had the opportunity to support several families that were in need. We were able to up our financial support of several missions. The Wood family, of course, is one of our big ones there. Off in Texas now, but we're looking forward to seeing them back here in a short time. And we're reminded uh, this year that the Eastern European mission continues to grow strong in spite of the war that's going on over in Ukraine. And that is my short view of what happened last year. I'm sure that I missed lots of things, and you're going to have to fill those in yourself. Uh, what about 2023? What is going to be happening this year? Well, I don't know exactly. But if God allows it, we will keep on keeping on. All right? There are adventures and opportunities to grow your faith in the coming year. As always, we have corporate and individual Bible studies going on. And if you would like to have or start a study, please see Calvin or any of the elders. We would love to get somebody started with that sort of thing. Right now, we're looking for people willing to serve as readers. That's a ministry that's been uh, to the wayside during the pandemic and shortly thereafter. I think we would like to see small groups start again. I think that's always been encouraging and very helpful for so many people. We would like to encourage the adults to support our teens more this year than they have in the past. That is always good because they are growing and they're learning how to practice their faith and they need us. We're looking forward to possibly a few cosmetic fixes for the building, including replacing the carpet in the foyer and the fellowship hall. But I don't know if this will come to happen. You know, the budget hasn't been worked out yet. So we'll see how that plays out. There is one thing that I do need to bring to your attention that you probably don't know about. And this is a special event coming up on Tuesday, May 16th at 7 p.m. If you have a calendar, you probably want to write this in there. Tuesday, May 16th at 7 p.m. We're going to be hosting Praise and Harmony Song Fest. And it's led by Keith Lancaster. It's an evening of worship and encouragement in song. We're the only location in Oregon where song fest will happen. We'll be inviting churches from all around the area, and there are songs that we're going to need to learn as we move into this time. And those will be provided, we'll provide links and all that sort of thing. So you'll have access to those so you can learn the parts because uh, that's the way it's, it's going to be. Um, and that'll probably happen in the next month. And this is an opportunity uh, for the congregation, and I think is well worth making time in your schedule. Very important. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about this coming year is what the eldership is praying for. And the reason I touched it like that is because as we gather and talk about the things and the concerns and the worries of the congregation, there are many things across the table. We would like to add elders to our group. We'd like to add deacons. We had a few of those move away. We'd like to see more new Christians show up here. In other words, we'd like to see the results of you and I walking out into the world and showing up and being part of the family. We'd like to dive deeply into what it means to be a disciple of Christ. We'd like to encourage faith building in whatever way we can, especially in prayer. And we'd like to see the desire to share the gospel rekindled. It's easy to let things like that become old past and 
not be encouraged to do that. We want to let the community know that we are the church that you can come to. Of course, we'd like to have more children in the nursery and more teachers for them. That's an ongoing issue. We'd love to have a duplicity of Bible teachers available at all times and their helpers. That would be great. And I think that one thing that we can develop this coming year is an Abraham-like hospitality that is a natural outgrowth of your faith. In other words, it would be great, great to be a congregation who loves seeing and working with people. In response to questions we've had about what it means to be a member of a church, we put together a short paper. I hope to have that printed in the next week or two. You'll see that. So that's a new and upcoming thing, and it answers some of those basic questions. Uh, we pray that this uh, congregation is a safe space for all of us, that it can be a place of prayer for those who are in need, a place where love comes first, and we don't judge those outside the faith, but let the Lord do that. We pray that we will listen more closely to God, ponder the Bible's words and wisdom with the hearts servants. We pray we can honestly hear each other and our stories as we talk and find healing in difficult times because we will have difficult times. We want to celebrate the victories. We want to remember the grace that we've received because God is in us. And we want to find peace under pressure and say kinder words as we speak. So, how do we do this? Let me talk a little bit about discipleship this morning. I think the essence of being the congregation we need to be is to be good disciples. And I like the idea of embracing discipleship as a vocation. We're called to be disciples of Christ. These are our marching orders as Christians. Remember, we are little Christs in the world. So what does it look like? Well, sometimes it's a sprint, okay? Sometimes we're running so fast, and we're exploring, and we're discovering, and we're learning new things, and we're studying, and we're praying, and all these things happening, and we're finding out that we have strengths, and finding out that we have weaknesses. But, if we are disciples, we're always going to be encouraging our relationship with the Lord. Now, at, timing, at times, being a disciple is very simple. It means being still and focused. Practicing the art of listening to discern what is right and real and part of the Father's will for our lives is very important for us individually as well as for the congregation. It looks like pursuing the way of the Lord. Have you ever heard that term? We use prayer, we use Bible study, we use meditation. These are personal things. But we also need to continue meeting together in worship, praying together, studying and gathering to pursue relationships, being mentored and becoming mentors in the corporate things. The personal and the corporate are meant to be practiced side by side. Discipleship is multifaceted, and a disciple 
discipleship is this, to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and to be committed to the mission of Jesus. This is what we should be doing. It's a lifetime process, and we experience it not only as a congregation, but as individuals. Discipleship points us outward into the community that we live in to bring them the good news. It's a team effort that makes that needs the whole community. And in the church, in the church, it creates a body focused on Jesus Himself. It moves us personally from me centered to being we centered. In a compelling, energetic, and pointed way that doesn't diminish or abrogate any of us, but lifts us to see clearly who we are where we are and how we are to be in relationship to God and to Jesus. It's a lifelong goal. And the Bible tells us it's our assignment. So the question you might ask is, aren't we doing that already? Well, yes and no. See, we may see ourselves as being doers of the Word. But I think we barely tapped into what it means to have the relationship we need with Jesus. We've been sidetracked. We've had a pandemic that has gone on by us. We've been shanghaied by social media. We're misdirected by the politics of the day. All of these things draw us away, not toward the work that we're supposed to be doing. I think in some ways we've lost track of what it means or what it looks like to be a disciple. Perhaps we misunderstand what discipleship looks like. And I want to say the basics, simplicity, bottom line of being a disciple requires that we have biblical humility. And nobody wants to hear that. Biblical humility. Well, what's that? Too often we let our culture define humility, and instead of letting the Bible do that very thing. There was a research paper done, uh, and Anna Schaffner asked the question, what is humility and why is it important? She said this, at first sight the ancient virtue of humility is not a particularly appealing one. Deriving from the word hummus, earth, it appears to clash with our current valuation of self-worth and self-realization. But humility has nothing to do with meekness or weakness. And neither does it mean being self-effacing or submissive. Humility is an attitude of spiritual modesty that comes from understanding our place in the larger order of things. It entails not taking our desires, successes, feelings too seriously. And I think the key for me is there. Humility is an attitude of spiritual modesty. Recognizing our place, who we are, and how we are to be. Later in the same uh, paper, she refers to another uh, paper as a source, and he talks about the six aspects of humility. A willingness to see ourselves truthfully an accurate perception of our place in the world. Ouch. 
and ability to acknowledge our mistakes and limitations. These are not natural things at all. Uh, openness, low self-focus. It really isn't about me. An appreciation of the value of all things. Humility demands clarity about ourselves. Second Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Paul understands that we have to know who we are as we serve God, and what that looks like. C.S. Lewis, in talking about humility, I had this to say, and I thought it was a great quote. Oh, I missed it. Yeah, I missed it. Did it go fast? Oh, I didn't put it up. Okay. My fault. It was too, it was too long to put on the slide, so I just I need to read it. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this about the idea of humility. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And the biggest step, too. At least, nothing whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. Coming on as a comment to Lewis's writing right there, a guy named Nathan Dean wrote this. According to Lewis, the first step in the pursuit of humility is recognizing and admitting how proud or conceited you are. A solid second step would be to confess this to God and ask God to help. Third would be to cultivate the practice of praying for other people. Don't pray for others like you're reading over a laundry list to God, but offer deep, imaginative, caring and concerned prayers, like you are holding someone else's life, their existence, their well-being in your hand, and holding that person up to God. Pray for others like you pray for yourself, or your children, to see what God does in your heart. The invitation that we have to discipleship rises out of humility, and is layered with prayer from the beginning. To focus sharply on that, we need to go to the scripture, that was read this morning. We're going to talk about a few things that show up in there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptying himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul says humility is to look to the interests of others, look less itself and more outward. In short, be more like Christ. Because it's natural to be self-focused, it takes effort to turn from being inwards, looking outward. In our culture, we receive reinforcement when we look and reward ourselves. It takes supernatural power and time to become Christ-like. Paul points to the way Jesus acted, specifically in verse 7, empty yourself to serve. This next thing to point out is verse 8, Jesus was obedient his case, obedient to death. N.T. Wright, when he was writing his commentary on Philippians, wrote this, Paul focuses on humility. This looms large in Philippians 2, 1 through 5, and is the centerpiece of the poem in, verse, in chapter 2, 6 through 11. Humility was regarded in the ancient world as weakness, the characteristic of inferiors and slaves who down to the bottom rungs of society. Pagans usually prized, as most people do, honor and fame, usually built on the backs of others. But for the Messiah and his people, it is different. Paul is more than capable of giving commands. But most of all, he wants his readers to absorb the story of Jesus, specifically the story of his humility, death, and exaltation, and to work out what their, their salvation is, therefore going to mean in practice. He wants them, in other words, to adopt a form of moral reasoning shaped by the story of Jesus as the bedrock of their single-minded unity. C.S. Lewis elaborates on this in another chapter. He says the perfect surrender and humiliation were undergone by Christ. Perfect because he was God, surrender and humiliation because he was man. Now the Christian belief is that if we somehow share the humility and suffering of Christ, we shall also share in his conquest of death and find a new life after we have died and in it become perfect and become perfectly happy creatures. This means something much more than our trying to follow his teachings. People often ask when the next step in evolution, the step to something beyond man, will happen. But in the Christian view, it has happened already. In Christ, a new kind of man appeared, and the new kind of life which began in him is to be put in us. Now, while discipleship has uh, demands humility, it also has a nemesis of sorts. There's an age-old enemy of Christianity and faith in God. It may look like a snake, but it is pride. From the beginning, pride takes down Adam and Eve. Throughout the Old Testament narrative, we read stories of individuals and families, kings and generals taken down by prideful decision-making. Things haven't changed. We are a subject to the distorted vision pride brings now as well as then. We study the past 
so we can see and hopefully better today. It's pride that destroys our relationships, pride that feeds anger, pride that leads us to fear and crawl into ourselves. Pride will always separate us from the love of God. That's not to say we can't be proud of things. When we accomplish something, when a child does well, when we appreciate our community, we can be proud. It's a feeling to foster. But when it becomes all-powerful and drives our decision-making or leads us away from clear thinking, then we fall and pray to its wiles. When I'm always right, I always know the will of God. When I say I all the time in conversation, then pride is leading me by the nose. The call of discipleship is a call to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, to be committed to the mission of Jesus. These are lifelong goals that only happen in community, and they take shape when we humble ourselves Ready to be baptized, the water is ready. 